mean, that ball got out of here in a hurry. Just a bit outside. If anything travels that far, I'd have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? It's time for Powell at the Park. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Cubs, Sox, all your Chicago baseball news. Dynamite drop in money. Here's your host, Kevin Powell. Welcome into episode number eight of the Powell at the Park podcast. I'm Kevin Powell. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to everyone that's been on the show as a guest. Thank you to everyone that's listened. iTunes, Google Play, WGNRadio.com. Subscribe on iTunes. Much appreciated. Again, I'm Kevin Powell here. Episode number eight. Two months worth of, of shows so far. So uh, it's rolling on. Thank you so much to everyone for the support. And uh, again, I'm just going to keep popping these suckers out. Hopefully uh, we can continue to gain a listenership and hopefully you guys are enjoying it. On this week's episode, I talk with Josh Nelson from Sox Machine. Sox Machine does a really great job of covering the White Sox. SoxMachine.com. Josh has his own podcast that I think you should listen to, the Sox Machine podcast. Uh, he knows the White Sox. He's, he's great insight on the team. He's seen them up close. Uh, does a great job following the White Sox, and we'll get his thoughts on the early start to the Sox season, but, you know, of course, the, the wins and losses right now, not a huge deal. Um, it's about individual growth. We're going to continue to say that throughout the entire season and really for multiple seasons now because Sox are going to lose a whole lot of games. But it's about guys like Moncada, Kopech, Menez. Uh, how are they improving? How are they getting better? So we'll talk to Josh about this rebuild. And then Mark Carmen, WGN Radio's very own Mark Carmen. He's with Fansided. You probably know the name. At the Carm on Twitter. Uh, Carmen and I, I wanted to have him on because when uh, last time I Carmen is now one of the post game hosts for the Sox on GN. He and Adam Hogue split those duties, so I see him out of the park from time to time. And he and I were in the broadcast booth and we're talking. And every time, if you ever go to a game with Carmen, he knows all the vendors because Carmen was a vendor for seventeen years. So he and I, we were just talking for a while. He's he's pointing out vendors, talking about their strategy. He's telling me about uh, different nicknames, different stories from stuff. And I just I don't know why I've always been fascinated with the vendor situation. Situation, the vendor game, like even just kind of watching them every now and again. I'm like, I'm always. My initial thought is, man, you got to be so exhausted walking up and down these stairs. I'm um, just curious how the whole thing just works. So um, that's why I initially wanted to have Karma on, but then we, we do talk some White Sox, um, talk about Cubs, and with the Cubs in Cleveland this this past week, Carmen and I revisit the 2016 World Series as many have with the Cubs playing at a progressive field. Carmen and I were covering the World Series in Cleveland for WGN Radio, and that actually leads us to this week's rundown. All right, on this week's rundown, as I mentioned, I wanted to talk about the Cubs uh, World Series in 2016. My first year, and I I hate to make this uh, all about me, um, I I just kind of want to revisit because it was such a cool, it was a crazy year for me. They, I had been Steve Cochran's producer for a couple years, and the afternoon job, sports anchor job, opened up with Roe, and they were like, "Well, you you should go, you know, give it a shot." So I did some reps with Roe. It worked. It stuck, and I got the job. They said, "Well, that's great. You're also going to be covering baseball for us." I said, "That's even better. They're gonna you're going to be covering the Cubs and the White Sox." The first year I was on the baseball beat for the station was 2016 
So my first year ever covering big league clubs, and it just happens to be the year the Cubs go all the way to the World Series and win it. So to be honest, it you know it was I'll never forget it. Um, I felt like I was way in over my head, um, but uh, it, it worked. Got the job done, and um, station was was just fine um, with everything I did. But it was it was an incredible year, and this is the moment that uh, everyone will remember forever. Bryant Terrizzo for the final out. And the next pitch to Martinez, a swing and a slow chopper to Ward third. Here comes Bryant on to first, and the Cubs have won the World Series. A moment that many thought might never happen has happened here in Cleveland. For the first time in 108 years, the Chicago Cubs are World Series champions. And Shulman on the call, National Radio. Um, I, I, I get into this a little bit with Carmen later on. But I'll never forget the sound at Progressive Field when Davis hit the homer off Chapman to tie it. And it was sheer terror from in, uh, Cubs fans and sheer joy from Indians fans. And the park just felt surreal. That sticks with me. And then when that final out happened, it was just, it was incredible. I just remember, I, I, you know, a lot of reporters go down into the tunnels underneath and go to the clubhouse to get in line to get in because there's so many media members. People want to be the first in and, and yada, yada. So, um but many of us just stayed up there, like in the auxiliary press box, because I didn't. I wanted to see it. I wanted to see the final out, and I did. And I was with Carmen, and I remember that when the final out was made, I couldn't believe it. They rushed the field. It just felt like time stood still for a minute. It was pretty crazy. And I looked to my right, and Carmen would just looked like just such a relief. Carmen grew up a diehard Cub fan. Um, so it was a little bit different for him, I think, and everybody had a, a a little bit different perspective on the whole thing. But no matter what you were thinking, everyone felt the magnitude of that victory. 108 freaking years. It was it was crazy. I can't. I still can't believe I was there for it. Um, and uh, just quite a ride. I know everybody's kind of thinking about that. It was just a couple years ago, but I know a lot of Cub fans watching Cubs game at Progressive Field. It, of course, it's going to bring back memories of that series. So I wanted to revisit the Cubs 2016 World Series victory, talk about my time covering them. That is this week's rundown. We're now joined by the Sox Machines, Josh Nelson, SoxMachine.com. Josh Nelson has his own uh, podcast as well, the Sox Machine Podcast. He covers the Sox well. He knows them very well. He even made a trip down to Birmingham to see some of the prospects up close. We'll get to that in in, uh, just a sec. But, Josh, appreciate you jumping on the podcast, man. Yeah, absolutely. This is an honor to be on (laughs) Howl at the Park. This is one of my favorite podcasts that's been released this baseball season. So I am honored to join your show. I appreciate the sucking up, but it's not necessary, Josh. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was on Josh's podcast uh, to, to start the year, and we kind of did a projection, um, and I kind of just previewed the season. And I think I pegged the Sox at 73, 4, 5 wins, something like that. As we talk here today, they are 5-16, and 16, second worst record in baseball. Josh, are you surprised at all of what we've seen so far through the first 20-plus games? I am. I'm surprised on how poorly the Chicago White Sox have played at home, Kevin. The White Sox are 2-10 and 10 at home. 
And I think there are two games they most definitely blew. The first game, the home opener against the Detroit Tigers, where they had a 7-3 to lead and ended up losing an extra innings 9-7. to That's a game they should have won. The first game against the Tampa Bay Rays, where they had the game-winning runs on second and third with nobody out and couldn't even tie the game, uh, that's another game that they also blew. So I think that's two games uh, that the White Sox should have in the bag. But even if, let's say, they win those games, they're 7-14. Yeah. And, and that's not a very good start. Uh, offensively, this team is high and low. And you could not illustrate it better than this past series against the Seattle Mariners. First game of the series, they scored 10 runs. Mm-hmm. The next game... Nothing. Uh, so they're not consistent. There are issues in the starting pitching staff. We knew the bullpen was going to be bad, and they are bad. And the offense isn't fully clicking. So that, that's how you get to start 5-16 and 16 on a year. Yeah, and I think overall, I mean, obviously a lot of us are we're projecting a lot of losses on the year. This is part of the rebuild. We don't have to go all into that again, but I, I you know, I, I think that um, I, I put a blog up at WGNRadio.com talking about, you know, patience is a must, and everybody sort of knew that, but I did sense sort of a frustration from a lot of Sox fans, and it's just, I guess, me sort of like coping with them and, and trying to like, you know, ease this whole process a little bit more. Um, it's about individual growth. As we know, um, Yoan Moncada, you talked about that game against the Mariners, 18 hits, 10 runs. Moncada was a single shy of the cycle, 852 OPS so far. He's looked pretty good. You guys had a piece at SoxMachine.com about how his, his struggles against lefty pitchers. Um, I guess just talk about Moncada, what you've seen from him. He's, he seems to really be heating up as of late. He's got five, home, five homers uh, through 21 games so far. Yeah, the 162-game pace for Yohan Mikata is kind of insane right now, Kevin. Mikata's on pace to hit 46 doubles, 38 home runs, have 100 walks, and strike out 293 times. Oh, now, I doubt that Mikata hits any of those four numbers. Uh, however, that's kind of the power that we're seeing from Mikata, and it's been well documented. It's been written across all media outlets on how hard Yoan Mikata is hitting the ball, leading the league in exit velocity. And when he puts bat on the ball, things happen. The problem is is that there is a lack of consistency on Mikata's part to put bat on the ball. And he is not making uh, strong contact within the strike zone. Uh, you can go to Fangraphs.com and look that up. That's Z contact. He has some of the worst Z contact in Major League Baseball. And it's just something that he's going to have to learn. And this is a part of the progression of Yohan Mikata. Now, when he does put barrel on the ball, it, it has been magical in the past couple of weeks. And he is teasing us of what could be with Yohan Mikata. So this is part of what you mentioned on WGN.com, that there is a level of patience that White Sox fans need to have. And when it comes to Yohan Mikata, this is where being patient is going to pay off because I think he will figure out how to reduce strikeouts. And when he does that, Kevin, he could be one of the best players in all of the American League. And that is saying something just because with wins above replacement, his overall defense, he's a good base runner, and he can hit for power, especially out of the leadoff spot. So I think Mikata is starting to heat up, and I still expect some big things. And, man, it should be an exciting time in the south side watching him during the summer. 
Yeah, what sort of player do you think Moncada projects as? Because he is the leadoff guy, but we're sitting here talking about all this types of, of power that he has. The obvious comp I think a lot of people were initially making because he's a second baseman is Robinson Cano, and we saw him up close over the yep. past few days. Do you think he can be that type of guy, a batting second or batting third? Where, where do you see Moncada projecting long-term in this lineup? I don't know about lineups because it seems that there's a different philosophy depending on the manager on where you could have Mikata lined up. But Mikata at his peak, I could see him being a 40-double, 20-home run, driving in 80 runs, walking 75 to 100 times, and stealing 25 to 30 bases, just being a complete offensive menace within this White Sox lineup. I don't think he's ever going to lead the team in home runs. I can see him most definitely leading the team in doubles, especially the way how hard he hits the ball. Uh, but that's the type of player that I see in Yohan Mikado, that what he's at his peak, Kevin, we're talking about a five wins above replacement type of player, somebody who could be a perennial all-star in the American League. I think that is where Mikado's ceiling is at. Now, of course, Mike Trout is otherworldly, right? He's the best player in all of Major League Baseball. I don't think Mikado will reach that high. Uh, But yeah, if you just look at the peak Robinson Cano years of the New York Yankees, uh, that's exactly the type of player that I think Mikado can be. If you want him to bat leadoff, great. If you want him to bat second ahead of Jose Abreu or any future power hitters like Eloy Jimenez, uh, that's great too. So yeah, I definitely would like to see Mikado bat in the top third of the lineup uh, when he does eventually hit his peak. Let's look on the pitching side of things. Another young player that fits into this championship rebuild, or at least the White Sox hope he does. He's a former first-round pick. Carson Fulmer has basically been all over the map this year. A whole lot of walks. He finally put a, a, a real solid outing together. I should, um, you know, his first first start five innings, two runs. His last start was six innings, uh, two earned runs, and just just one walk. But uh, he is he struggled this year, and I know a lot of us were having this conversation, and I put it on Twitter, and I, you know, I. I said to Sox fans, and I wasn't being argumentative or anything like that. It was, it was what makes you think he could be effective out of the bullpen. And a lot of people were making points that you know you can prioritize pitches a little bit differently out of the bullpen. You can attack hitters a little bit differently out of the bullpen. We talked about projecting Moncada. Where do you think Fulmer projects? Do you think he can be a starter, or do you see him winding up in the bullpen eventually? I see him eventually winding up in the bullpen as an Andrew Miller type, somebody that you don't want to face where you can give the ball to Carson Fulmer in the sixth inning and he can carry you to the eighth inning in critical games just because I would like to see what Fulmer, what the type of pitcher Fulmer can be if he increased the intensity where he's throwing at 125 to 130% uh, max, where as a starting pitcher is about 90% just because they're trying to eat as many innings as possible. Now, Fulmer did a good job the last time he made a start making sure that his shoulders were more pointed to home plate. That allowed him to repeat his delivery. And if Fulmer is going to stick as a starter, that's the that's the biggest issue with Carson Fulmer, especially with the White Sox, is he must be able to repeat his delivery because as soon as his delivery gets out of whack, he cannot command any of his pitches, and that is when he starts running into trouble. So I think long-term, we'll probably see Fulmer in the bullpen just because the White Sox have a good depth right now in starting pitchers that I have more confidence will stick as starting pitchers uh, other than Carson Fulmer. 
But for this season, if Vollmer is going to have starts like he did previously against the Seattle Mariners back on Monday, uh, I think you give him enough rope to continually go out there this year and try to prove himself. But if he has a bad month, then I think the White Sox need to start putting him in the bullpen just to see if our theories are correct. Yeah, his mechanics is what really scares me in in terms of you know long term projections. And and you mentioned him kind of pointing the shoulder, but you know we talked to him about that after his last start, and he goes, "Look, I'm not a mechanical pitcher," and I'm I'm kind of like, "Okay, well that doesn't sound great, especially considering he doesn't have the greatest mechanics in the world." So um, I, I could see that sort of that middle kind of that bridge to get you to a closer eventually. He definitely has that sort of bullpen late inning mentality where he, he is sort of a bulldog out there. He wants to go and just out compete, and I agree with you. I think that if he could um, you know, maybe chuck it a little bit, amp up the intensity a little bit, I think that actually fits into his style a little bit more. Guy who can absolutely chuck it Michael Kopech, and it's basically uh, it's Kopech watch now for White Sox fans. Um, 34% K rate, 8% walk rate is his K rate right now, fourth highest in the International League. Uh, everybody just can't wait to see Michael Kopech up on the big league club. When do you think that will happen? Because that's what everybody, that's what Sox fans are all talking about. When do you think Kopech will come up? When do you think Jimenez will come up? So when do you, Josh Nelson, think Michael Kopech will be called up to the big league club? I'm going to give you a month range. The earliest that I think we could see Michael Kopech pitching for the White Sox is May 5th. That is a Saturday home game against the Minnesota Twins. The latest that I think Michael Kopech would be called up is June 5th, which is a doubleheader series in Minneapolis to make up one of the snow games uh, that happened a couple weeks ago, which the White Sox and Twins only played one game of a four-game series. The reason I'm giving you that month range is that Michael Kopech is forcing the issue. And you've interviewed Rick Hahn before, Kevin. That is something that Rick Hahn has said when it comes to these prospects that the White Sox have a plan, and it is a plan for each player to stick out the entire year, but there are some guys that are going to force the issue, and they could prompt to being called up. And the way that Kopech is throwing, uh, I think nobody could touch his fastball in the International League. Uh, he is flashing the changeup against lefties, and that slider that he has, that breaking pitch, has been quite effective as a strikeout pitch. But today against Louisville, he goes through six innings. He only allows one hit and two walks, and the Louisville bats do get a run off him. Uh, but as you mentioned, that strikeout rate and the walk rate, he hasn't allowed more than two walks in any of his starts. He's got seven walks on the year. He's got 29 strikeouts and 21 innings pitched. There's nothing more that you can ask for Michael Kopech at the moment. And with the White Sox struggling the starting pitching front and really needing help there with Miguel Gonzalez now having rotator cuff inflammation, and that could be a serious injury that knocks him out a huge chunk of the year, there is a need for the White Sox. So you have a prospect who's forcing the issue, and the team has a need. How early will that be? I don't know. But realistically, I think the earliest that we could see Michael Kopech with the White Sox is the first weekend in May. And with, if he does get called up then, if Rick Hahn pulls the trigger, that does mean that Michael Kopech will probably hit Super 2 status. But that is an issue for future White Sox years to worry about. Not right now. Kopech Watch continues. You had a lengthy piece about your trip to Birmingham. Uh, tell us about that, where people can read uh, about your trip to Birmingham, and, and what you see player-wise from the Sox. 
Yeah, it was a very fun trip to go to Birmingham as I wanted to see the Birmingham Barons up close and in action. And for those that don't really follow the White Sox minor leagues, double A for the White Sox farm system in Birmingham, the Southern League, is a wall. It's not a hurdle. This isn't something that's easy uh, to get through in that level for the White Sox. Uh, Some players burst through the wall, and when they do, Sometimes he goes straight to the major leagues. A couple examples are Bobby Jenks as a closer, and now Chicago Cubs starting pitcher Jose Quintana. Jose Quintana pitched so well with Birmingham, the White Sox didn't have him go AAA. They just called him up straight from AA. And then you have some guys who never get through, like former first-round pick Courtney Hawkins, who has now been cut by the White Sox. And just going to Birmingham and watching these players like Zach Collins perform, Jordan Stevens, Spencer Adams, and Jordan Guerrero, fringe starting pitching prospects uh, that have an opportunity to maybe pitch in Chicago this year if the dominoes fall. Sebi Zavala, a very popular prospect right now for White Sox fans, hopping on the bandwagon. This was before Eloy Jimenez got off the disabled list uh, and joined the Barons this week. Uh, But it's a fantastic time for White Sox fans to go to Birmingham. There are great places to go, great breweries, great restaurants. There's just terrific food everywhere. But when you go to Regents Field, you, you get an idea of which guys are for real and which ones are not. And if you want to have a better confidence mindset on who could realistically help the White Sox in the upcoming years, you have to pay attention to Birmingham. Because if they can succeed in Birmingham, especially the position player front, it's really it seems like it's really easy in the International League to hit. Where we see guys just put up monster numbers in Charlotte just because of how small the ballpark is. And uh, and that's why with Sebi Savala right now, you just look at his numbers and you start to think and maybe even have a little hope in him that here's another guy that can emerge from being a 12th-round pick, and maybe he could help the White Sox in the future. And then you see Aloy Jimenez hit two home runs in a game, and that gives you even more confidence that this guy's going to be a superstar. Uh, so it was a fantastic time, and I recommend any White Sox fans to go there. Uh, and, you know, watching Sebi Savala, He's doing very well offensively. Uh, Zach Collins is struggling offensively, but he did hit two doubles in his last game. It's a timing issue right now. He's having difficulty timing up, especially the fastballs in this league, and he admitted as much as when I got a chance to interview him. Uh, So we'll see. I mean, if the Barons start playing better baseball, and we know how well Winston-Salem is playing, some of those guys will get promoted this year. Uh, That if, If you believe in the White Sox could be World Series contenders in 2020, or 2021, that reality starts this year in Birmingham. He's Josh Nelson with Sox Machine. He has his own podcast, Sox Machine, uh, the uh, baseball podcast, I guess what you guys call it. Uh, Where can people listen? Where can people read your stuff? Follow you on Twitter. Um, Go ahead and plug away, Josh. (laughs) Thanks. You can read us at SoxMachine.com. You can follow us on Twitter at SoxMachine. And you can listen to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Music Store. And we're also on Audioboom.com slash SoxMachine if you just want to download the MP3 or take the RSS feed and plug it into whatever podcast platform you'd like. It's Josh Nelson. Hey, I, I, did, I haven't seen you at the park since the media day when we got to eat all that food. What was your favorite of the new food offerings at Guaranteed Rate? I really liked the cheddar bratwurst. Yeah, the slurve. What, is, what are they calling that? The, the slurve. slurve. It's like a cheddar bratwurst with some mustard and onions. It's, it's really good. It's Johnsonville. 
It, it is good, and uh, the Cubano Burger. Yeah. I mean, it's a solid addition. Uh, I, I, you know, I love the Cubano. I, I, my heart is always on the Cubano, and I don't <laughs> think I can cheat on the Cubano quite yet. But if I'm in a burger and Cuban mood, there you go. boom, the White Sox have fixed that problem that I did not know I had, Kevin. There you go. Josh Nelson, always really great stuff on the White Sox. Again, follow him on Twitter, read the stuff at Sox Machine, listen to his podcast. Josh, can't thank you enough for jumping on, man. Appreciate it. Oh, I greatly honor it. Thanks, Kevin. That's Josh Nelson with Sox Machine. Can't thank Josh enough. I highly encourage you to listen to his podcast. If you're a Sox fan, you will be a smarter Sox fan because the guy knows his stuff. SoxMachine.com for all his material and um, Sox coverage. All right. I also talked to Mark Carmen at the Carm on Twitter, WGN Radio, fan-sided, White Sox post-game host, and he and I talk about a wide range of stuff. We talk about the White Sox, talk about the Cubs, talk about covering the 2016 World Series together, and we talk about vending at games, being a vendor, because Carmen was a vendor for 17 years, but had a great conversation with Carm. We were supposed to do about 15 minutes, and he and I talked for about 35 minutes, so I hope you enjoy my combo with Carm. Now joined by the one and only Mark Carmen at the Carm. I don't know why I just love that Twitter handle at the Carm. It is strong, right? I mean, it's 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 growing. I, I I'm you know what, Kevin. First of all, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Yeah, it's you. only episode eight, Carm. I'm happy you finally able to make it. I know you're a busy, busy man. Well, you know, I you're you're getting all the big shooters, and now you're 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 struggling a little bit. I'm here for you. I, I'm very happy for you that you have the the uh, the podcast. Congrats on it. Thanks. Yes, you've you've been going out to the park for what is this th- year three? Year three, yeah. I Covering mean, the Cubs and Sox. Yeah, yeah we're I mean, rolling along here, Carm. I'm getting old, man. I found a few gray hairs on the side of the head the other day. No, you didn't. Yes, I swear to God. Are you serious? Unless it's like an overly white blonde hair. I, it's, I think it was gray. You, you still got the baby face look. You yeah. don't, there's no gray going on there. I think the gray there. could help me considering I look like I'm 12 a little bit. You uh, know? I mean, it would add another dimension, but I don't. you don't want to do that. That's not the way you want to go about your life. You're, doing, right. you're doing great things. So you no look, gray. No gray. Look youthful. You are youthful. I lean into that. All right. Mark Carmen now is the um, congrats to you though you and Adam Hogue now the the post game hosts on WGN the flagship radio home for your Chicago White Sox and Carm uh, you guys are sounding great how's the the post game hosting duties going so far I mean I think Adam and I are, are both loving it and always great to see you at the park doing your thing and we all would like to see the White Sox get some more wins but this is part of the whole deal and. There are. There's always a story every night of something that went either in the right direction or something worth talking about that went wrong. Like it's so. Uh, I they're uh, they're obviously in a battle right now, and it's disappointing. I think at least for me, to we, see. we expected a lot of losses, but I think probably not this bad of a start. Yeah, and I also look. They started out two and zero, and they were three and two. And I'm like type of guy that likes to dream it big, right? Why not have a miracle season? So it does not appear that they're going to have. Why not? Uh, I love it. Right? I, love it. I mean, baseball's crazy. Weird yeah. things happen. But you, you watch the team, and you realize that they're a ways away from winning. Mm-hmm. And so... This was part of the plan, was losing. Well, right. And 
developing their guys, and we'll see who comes up later in the season, and we'll see how it goes for the guys who are going to be here long term. I mean, that's what you watch every night, right? Do, do you have a prediction of when Michael Kopech will be called up? I talked with Josh Nelson from Sox Machine about this. I asked him. He said anywhere from his guess was a month window between either May 5th and June 5th because there's a doubleheader June 5th in Minnesota um, and some other stuff. Do you, do you have a projection of Kopech to the majors? I actually think it will be later than that. And I'm I'm more targeting targeting after the All Star break, early August, something like that. Okay. And maybe they shut him down early September. That would be my guess. There was a day in White Sox history when Alex Fernandez and Frank Thomas both came up to play the Milwaukee Brewers in in August. So I I'm sort of envisioning why not. Let's do part two, Kopech, Eloy Jimenez. Well, Moncada was August last year, right? Right. Or was he July? I forget the exact date. It was Regardless, late. it was a wonderful night. I was there. And at 5,000 walk-ups to the park that night. 25,000 in, in the seats to watch Johan Moncada. I think that's a sort of game that I've kind of keep top of mind because when we... You and I are talking, Carm, in, in two, three, four, five years, and we're looking back on this White Sox team. I'm going to say, I'm going to remember that night at 35th and Shields when Yoan Moncada made his debut and there was this buzz and people were excited. That basically was that signature moment of the rebuild. This is me This is me doing my Carm dreaming big. I, I think that could be the moment where a lot of people look back and say, man, remember that night Moncada came, came up and it was the start of everything? Yeah. I hey I I love that vision that a we both still have jobs and the White Sox are <laughs> yeah, great. That was my that was what I was <laughs> that, thinking too. That's right. They're like right. In five years will I still be here? God, that'd be amazing. <laughs> uh, so that'd be cool. And yes, I I think that was like okay. The coolest thing about that to me was that, and it's the same thing right now, even with the White Sox struggling. White Sox fans are so happy the team has a direction and that Rick Hahn is compiling all this young talent. It's not that, necessarily showing the attendance numbers just yet, but no, but and hopefully it will grow. It right. I mean, listen, the, the weather's been brutal. The Many, the matchups have been all, the Tampa Rays on a weekday. Right. Nobody wants to see that. No, they're, they're awful. They traded away anyone that had half amount of a little bit of talent, and the Sox are are not good. So yeah. um, those are a lot of things to factor in. Okay, when they start winning, they'll be coming out. Bottom line, the Cubs went through this right. They they lost a whole bunch of games, and then it all worked, and their rebuild worked. So let's transition into the Cubs because they are a model for. I mean, we've seen it in all pro sports now. It's all the rage is 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 break it all down, bottom out, and then build. Championship team. We basically see that. Other than football, you see it. In, you see the Bulls doing it right now. Maybe not so much in hockey, but I have a def- solution. Def- by the way, in, in baseball, to what the bottoming out stuff. Okay, let's before we move ahead. What uh, what's your? Solution? I, I have my NBA solution at least because gotcha. the, the NBA is different than everything else because th- there are so few players that are going to have that move the the the, right. the needle in the league. I mean, baseball. You got forty rounds. And you might trout. It could be on your team. Doesn't mean you're going to win the World Series. LeBron James is on your team. You're probably going to the NBA championship right and late round picks succeed all the time that doesn't happen in the nba you've got two rounds and really once you get past number 10 right it's it's, it's a, a long shot it's a huge long shot like yeah. there's okay oh what about drayvon green yeah okay what about him that's like the one guy it, it doesn't you and that is like a premier player and sure you'll find contributors but okay so how do you fix the bottoming out problem in the nba i have a feeling i know where you're going with i got a lottery ball system here kp okay 
So let's say you're the worst team in the league, the Phoenix Suns, this year. I believe they lost 61 games. They were 21 and 61. They would get 61 balls. But the Houston Rockets, who only lost, I think it was 16 games, they'd still get 16 balls. So you have to limit the incentive to be bad in the NBA. The NBA doesn't want 10 teams vying to be awful. It's just not a good look for them. The, 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 Fans understand it, but it, they don't go. The TV ratings go down. It's just a bad I, look. But, but I think I think that ten teams being awful is always probably going to be around in the NBA. Like when Jordan was winning, the NBA wasn't in a bad spot, even though we all knew that. My point is this, though: there's a difference between being bad and being an intentionally bad. Right. That's the big difference. Like basically, admitting that you are bottoming out. Like for Bulls fans, we all kind of are on board with it for the most part because we've seen rebuilds work and stuff. But they'd be having those the amount of teams trying to be bad in any league, and we've seen in baseball. Um, that's there's a lot of teams trying to be bad in pro sports right now because they are bottoming out and hoping to rebuild and hoping to f- vie for a championship. That's that's different than just sucking, just being really bad, even if you are trying to be good. Then teams saying, you know what, it's time we do the whole bottoming out thing, right? Actively trying to lose, actively not, trying to lose. And I get it from like the front office, like okay, I'm not going to go out and spend money on X free agent because it doesn't make any sense for us. Okay. But like, you know, just in a very micro, the Bulls, you're sitting Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday down the stretch because <laughs> you're trying to lose. Like, right. that's a level that just is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not talking, just come on, man. Try to win games. Uh, there, there's a certain level of integrity that uh, is missing there that, that I just, it's, it's off. And so I, I, I don't, I, there's just too much incentive to, to lose in the, in the league. I wasn't anticipating NBA talk in the Paul at the Park podcast with you, but Carm, <laughs> as the, bas- the rabid basketball fan you I, are, figured you would find a way to do that. I got so. it in there. I apologize. Some basketball talk. Okay, yeah. let's focus on the Cubs for a second yeah. here. Um, Let's start with the current team. We'll look back because the Cubs were in Cleveland this week, so a lot of people are reminiscing about what happened a couple of years ago. Of course, we all remember. Carmen and I were there. We'll get into that in just a minute. I'm already crying. I'm already, yeah. I'll never forget the look on your face when that final out was made. <laughs> uh, okay, current Cubs right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I asked you this in passing recently, or I asked somebody about it. Arietta's off to a hell of a start in Philly, Carm. He's 2-0, 2-0-4 ERA, Philly 14-8, 16 strikeouts and 17 innings for Arietta. You Darvish with a 8-6 ERA, 0-2, 11 walks over 19 innings, and of course those fifth inning troubles. Haven't been able to get out of the fifth inning in his past two starts. Um, You seem like a guy that's probably got some thoughts on this. I do. Okay. So when this was all going down, because let's not overreact from a handful of starts to begin the season, um, I was all in on going Darvish over Arietta because we've, we just saw some signs from Arietta. The, the velo was down. His mechanics are kind of tricky. Darvish has probably better stuff that projects long term. He's got like 100 pitches to choose from. So you factor all that stuff in. I was on board with the Darvish stuff. What have you seen so far from Darvish? How worried are you, Carmen? Have you hit the official panic button on Darvish? So, not to disagree with you here, but I didn't like it from day one. Okay. I don't Jake, care if you disagree with me. Jake Arietta. See, I just never understood it. Like, And Cup fans were totally on board. Like, okay, hold on a second. Jake Arietta won a Cy Young. 
He was insanely clutch in the postseason. He was the one guy who beat the Dodgers last year. But we saw some signs of slowing down. Sure. Particularly in the velocity department. Sure. But okay, so then everyone's out there predicting that Arietta is just going to fall off the map. It's like, I'm sorry, I don't believe that everyone's Nostradamus with this guy who eats, who's eating kale right now, who's on a Pilates machine f- five hours a day. It's like, if there's one guy I'm going to bet on, I'll bet on that dude. And... The market was coming back. It was obvious what was happening, that you're, you're going to get this guy for a lot less than you thought. So just wait it out. And, and instead, so he signs for three years in 75. Uh, the Cubs would have signed up for that last year at this time all day long. They would have loved that deal. And that's what it ended up being. And maybe even get him for a little bit less because he doesn't have to go to Philadelphia. I th- yeah, I think I think that's a good point. Like I think when we were talking about this, you know, at this point last year or later in the season, when we knew Darvish was going to be a free agent, we knew Arietta was going to be a free agent. I think everyone was anticipating $150 million deals for both guys in some ways. Maybe Arietta not so much, but like a couple of years ago, we were all like, oh, Arietta's eyeball in that free agency. He's probably looking for Scherzer money, $200 million. Um, he ends up getting this deal. I think, you know, in, in hindsight, when you do think about how much money he got in the years, I mean, they've six years with Darvish, Carmen. And, right. And with, I think Arietta for three would have fit a lot better into. His his career timeline and where this this rotation will be. It, it, I'm not certainly not panicking. Darvish has great stuff. I think he'll bounce back. I think he'll have a really good year. Um, I just figured that would be a. I, I had a feeling you had thoughts on the area to Darvish situation. Well, and look, I, you know, you're talking about uh, well in five years. Hopefully, we'll be talking about the White Sox and Yohan Moncada. Like, I, how about a little loyalty in life, man? This dude went out there and did it for you. Yeah, but you don't pay for past performance. You pay for what That's- projects better moving forward. And what makes sense, dollars and years and all that sort of good thing. Right, right. But I mean, you know, I mean, you're not going to reward. Hey, man, we're going to give you two extra years and an extra fifty million because of all those great games. I mean, that's that's basically what. I mean, we can get into that too. I mean, that's what players are pissed about now is that they're you know they, they enter free agency. Once they do enter free agency, they're 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 trending down because of when you look at the the age of of players' performances and you, you look at all that, so the players are pissed. They're like, well, we want to be compensated. You guys have been paying us next to nothing when you hit free agency like you only hit free agency once straight out of you know after you, the teams owned you for six years um but anyways you know that's a whole other argument getting paid for past performance and things like that i uh, i never begrudge them what they make kp like you guys are the most you're elite at what you do it's incredibly hard to get there god bless them oh yeah neither am i but at the same time you gotta for teams they're gonna do what makes sense sure sure absolutely but it was i just thought look feels a smart guy and maybe you will work out, but it was it was it was obvious that the market was coming back, and yeah. the, and for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the free agent class next year or teams are just getting smarter. Period, that they weren't going to pay for, you know, what these guys thought they were going to get. Ian Happ, twenty six strikeouts and fifty eight at bats. Madden loves sticking with them at the leadoff spot. Almora is trending up. Uh, your thoughts on Happ? His struggles at the plate so far. So he had a great spring training. Mm-hmm. And then he hits the home run on, on the first pitch he sees, and he's in the Hall of Fame. I love how when players do well in spring training, everybody takes stock into that. But when they're when they're doing horrible in spring training, everyone's like, no, 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 no. It's spring training. They're working on mechanics, right? Everybody relax. And then Hap goes off in spring training. Everyone's like, see, he's our leadoff guy of the future. Let's make him the leadoff guy. And then he strikes out a whole bunch. Right. Though well, they're still looking for a leadoff guy at the end of the day. I mean, they, they missed Dexter. And I, I'm not, I don't want to get into a whole Dexter. Should they have signed him? Should they not have signed him? And I do, <laughs> and I, and I do like to hold on to things a little bit too long. So that's that's... <laughs> 
that's that's a that's a spot for me. But look, the the guy Ian Hep, I like him. And that he can play, you know, every outfield spot. He can play the infield too, and I think he's a great guy to have on your club. Not a leadoff guy, just not. Uh, El Mora, not a leadoff guy either. So, but I look like when Albert El Mora, like all you heard about that guy coming up was how he was perfect, great, great makeup, phenomenal. He's def- off to a great start. So he makes I, some great defensive plays. He's hitting. I like him out there. I'm more if between the two, Almora Hap. I'm more of an Almora guy. But here's the thing, like, and I don't know why. And you see this, like, when the Brewers got all these outfielders this year, everyone's like ripping them. I'm like, they now have an abundance of talent. They have too much talent. You're telling me it's a bad thing? There's never. It's never a bad time to acquire positive talent, positive players, good players. My point is, the Cubs have an abundance of talent. There doesn't need. Everyone has to be so you know. Argue about everything and take a side on everything. It's either Hap or it's Almora. I can tell everyone, I'm 100% positive that none of these guys, Almora, Hap, or even Zobrist, is going to be the predominant leadoff guy. Joe Madden is still going to play matchups for the next 140 games of the year. He's going to. And that's just fine, to be honest. I realize it's nice to have a leadoff guy, but Joe Madden is going to play the matchups. Well, and Theo says it all the time. Look, there's plenty of playing time to go around. <laughs> yeah, it's just a long year. Zobers is already on the DL. Right, long-ass. Injuries happen. Long-ass season. So, yeah, sure, these guys want to be out there every day, but it's probably in their best interest at the end of the day to not be out there every day. And so... Uh, you know, if, as long as they all keep a positive mindset and realize they're happy to be Cubs and be on this team and be a contributor, which can be a little tricky, but as, but if that continues, then it'll all work out. Cubs were in Cleveland this week, and of course, uh, you saw a lot of like Throwback Tuesday or TBT, whatever the hell, on Instagram and Twitter, and everyone's remembering the times, and the reporters are sharing pictures of the times they were in the. Uh they were in the dugout, and we were all celebrating. You and I were there, Carm. We were up down the first base line in the makeshift auxiliary press box. Pretty good seats. I actually like progressive field. I think it gets too much crap, to be honest. Well, I, I was you, a... you are really generous. I mean, we literally had the worst seats in the park. We're right field corner, dead, like as far up as away as we could possibly be. But it was still great. It was phenomenal. I, I... I thought they were okay. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I understand like where we were. I don't know. For me, I thought they were pretty good. Anyway, anyways... Um, I mean, we were basically like in this giant suite area that they converted into the media. I mean, yeah, like Wrigley does it awful for for media members. We're all the way down the the third baseline, upper deck, tucked away in the corner. Horrible sight lines. I guess I was just comping it to that. I mean, slightly, Wrigley, it's awful. Slightly better than than the last last section in the upper deck. Whatever at, at Wrigley, yes, yes. We but don't we have to were argue still about the season. We're at the freaking World Series. It was covering the thing. It was incredible. So uh, the thing that always sticks out to me is when Davis hit that homer off Chapman. Yes, the sound in the ballpark more than anything because you had this 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 terror, this terrifying screech from Cub fans, and then you had this this incredible loud cheer. And joy from the Indians fans and mixed together, it just felt odd. It felt weird. I guarantee I'll never hear anything like it again. Um, 
that still stands out to me, that moment. And then what also stands out to me is when that final out was made, and right now my stomach's like dropping talking about it, it was it was a surreal moment. And then I look to my – and I'm watching because like I'm going to soak this in. I see them all charging the, the diamond. And then I look to my right, and the look on your face, Carmen, because we were there as reporters, but it's still – I think it hits you like a, a, a wrecking ball. <laughs> you, you did not have a smile on your face. You, you didn't have tears. You just looked stunned and sort of – relieved of it all like you just took a bit like right when I turned to you it looked like you had just done the thing where you flop on the lazy boy at the end of a long work day and just let out like a <sighs> it the I the war that was in my head right there as you're talking about describing it was relieved I was so because I mean I remember you know they were up 5-1 and you were turning to me saying Carm they've, they've got it this is it yeah done. and, and you were like, going to kill me when I, I said I, and I was like oh, Kevin I'm going to kill you like don't don't they, do, you, do you understand this is this is 108 years it's Chicago Cubs this is, this is you have something bad's going to happen and yeah. then it did and then I listen when when uh it was the bottom of the ninth the Indians were batting and it was a tie game, and Chapman's on the mound. He's got nothing left. I mean, I was packing up my computer, packing up my bag, getting ready to go down, and just somehow, some way, just get ready to cover the Indians winning the World Series. And you know, Kipnis ripped one down the right field line that looked for a second like it was going out. Uh, and then the rain delay happened, and Schwarber led off with that base hit, and he, he pointed at the dugout. It's like, okay, this may happen. And then it did. It was just, uh, it was really, that was, uh, that was, we were so lucky to be there for that, KP. That was, that was, was really incredible. Awesome. And I remember after the, the way it works for the Indians, you go in their dugout, and then I guess this was for the Cubs' dugout. Um, you walk down a whole flight of stairs, essentially. It's yeah. kind of weird. And then it's like a little pit area where the infamous workout... I remember when we talked to David Ross in the uh, in the workout room where the speech was given. That was super... It was a really crappy uh, workout room, so, by, weight room, by the way. It was like nothing. It was just some like dinky like workout stuff. So we went there, but it's also like a trainer's thing. And then you can go back upstairs to get out of there. And I just remember in that little like downward cave-like area, it was just a mess. It was... There was dirt everywhere. There was... It was raining when we went out Outside. There was champagne. People were going ape shit. Um, everybody was going nuts, and it was awesome. It was incredible to be there. I I did a. We must have gone down either separately or I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. After that moment, I like blanked, and the I, next thing I know, I'm like in the dug. Oh, and then that was a cool moment too. I looked to my right, and it's you, and Zest- was it uh, Rob Zestrisny? And I took a photo. You two are sitting on the floor. You got your big ass recorder out, and you guys are just talking there. It was a really cool moment. Yeah, you two because like, they like, were trying to kick everyone out, and I'm like, "Where's Carmen?" And I look, and you two are sitting in the corner of the of the clubhouse, just having a conversation. I don't know how I had connected with that guy, but <laughs> no, I, I'm like, what the hell is he doing with Rob's Estrinzi? I'm like, Carm, we gotta go, man. They're kicking us out. I think I bonded with him in, when they beat the Dodgers, and uh, you know he was he hadn't pitched in the NLCS. He wasn't on the roster, or no, he was on the roster, but he never pitched. And he, he told me about how everybody came up to him and said, "Great job, great job." And he's like, "I never did anything." Like, dude, you were another lefty in our bullpen. They knew that you were down there, so they, so they, so they. So they you know, however they pinch it, yeah, it was because you right. were there, and, I, and so <laughs> I just—he was just such a just a nice, good dude. So I'm like, all right, Robo, let's talk. But I, you know, it was cool about that, like going down there. 
I got down there. The line to get in the Cubs clubhouse was oh, like that's right. Was from here to Montana. Because a lot of these, just to give people perspective, a lot of reporters know that there's going to be a line, so they go down there and they wait to get a head start in the clubhouse. But to me, I'm like, I'm watching this final out. Right, I'm we, watching the final out. <laughs> the freaking Cubs are about to win the World Series. I'm not going to sit in the bowels of Progressive Field waiting to get into a clubhouse. Right, and then they're all waiting in line. And I'm like, okay. You pulled a savvy veteran maneuver, I, maneuver I, didn't it was, you? It was my strongest. I yeah, was I strong, remember that. I went Cleveland side. Yeah. They let them all. They let the reporters in early because they had lost, and you know they weren't they weren't waiting on anything. They let it open, and all the tribe reporters go into the clubhouse, and I just walked right down on the field, and I'm like out there. No one's out there. And then did you come back into the Cubs from the the field uh, level? Ev- eventually, I did, but I just stood out there like hoping they were going to come out. The only people that are out there were. Uh, Bill Murray, John Cusack, and like Clark the Cub. So it was like it, it was a great move, but it didn't really pay off because nobody was alarm. nobody was there. Um, it was a credible time. I, I, so you mentioned Bill Murray. I remember I was in the clubhouse getting sprayed with champagne. And it's just kind of chaos. You're just sticking your microphone wherever you can and trying to talk to guys. And I looked to my left, and it's Bill Murray. And you know, I couldn't tell if he was tearing up just from the joy or tearing up from all the champagne getting sprayed in his face. But that was I look. I'm like, holy crap! That's Bill Murray right there celebrating with the Chicago Cubs at the 2016 World Series. It's pretty incredible. By the way, I just got a text from my trainer guy who I just started back up with. It says taking off. The night we'll have to reschedule. My man just completely blew the training session. Came came for the <laughs> terrible. How long? We've already gone for twenty three minutes. Ter- Carm. Terrible karma organization. So is it a personal trainer situation? I, I you know I'm falling apart. KP. I'm trying to trying to get get. The, I'm trying to get back on the train trying to get too. back in, on track here. Well, we can get into that later, maybe off the air. Um, what else? Oh, okay. Now we've got to talk about what I initially wanted to have you on the podcast for, Carm. Okay. Are you still talking to your trainer that you blew off? Do I have your undivided attention? I'm with you, undivided. Okay. I'm, I'm sending a quick text. So if you go to a baseball game with Carmen, if it's at uh, Wrigley or 35th and Shields, and you're just kind of sitting around, all of a sudden Carmen will just start like yelling out nicknames. Or he's like, <laughs> oh, there's uh, there's uh, Big Frank. Oh, there's uh, Frank S- the Tank. Sassy Susie. Yeah. Whatever the hell it is. <laughs> Carmen, for many, many years, was a vendor at both ballparks, correct? 17 years, KP. The, 17 years. The only, the only profession where I actually reached the pinnacle. Okay, I have questions about the vending game. Okay. Are there rivalries within the... Well, let's talk about how you got into the vending game. When did you become a vendor? Why did you become a vendor? Was it to selfishly just watch the games, get into the ballpark, make a few bucks, a little bit of all of that? Right. So I didn't want to work, and, and caddying wasn't my thing. Like, you had to, like that was just... Uh, did you caddy? I'm assuming you did. I, I did not caddy, actually. Oh, no. Oh, I was okay. trying to play as often, just like I, I am now. I mean, I just thought that was miserable. Like, I'm out there for five Sweating hours. your ass off. Yeah, yeah, yeah carrying yeah, yeah. double double bagging, and you got to, like... Where would you caddy? Northmore Country Club. Did it once. Can you get me on? Can't get you on. Can't get me on. Maybe, okay. maybe it could get you on. Okay. So but I have, I have no pull So there. you say no caddy. So I couldn't caddy. I'm going and I'm, vending. I'm going vending, and I get out there, and it's... Uh, I mean, I give me a malt cup or a cotton. I did cotton candy at the start, lightest thing I could carry. One dollar. Didn't want to carry change. Didn't realize that carrying change. So, actually, do you get to pick what you what you sell, or is it like a, a veteran thing? You got to work your way up to the beer eventually. I'm sure is like se- the, the golden tuna. Yeah, seniority. All everything's unionized there. You got to you got to pay your dues four times a year. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Vendors are are union. It's all union. Yep. AFL CIO baby. They're uh, they're stealing money. 
They probably don't like that. I would say that if yeah. they, but, but that's what taking they're... shots at the vendor union uh, yeah. situation. Okay, so you begin uh, slinging cotton candy, a little mall cup action at both ballparks. Did you initially start? Yeah, I'll actually tell a story here, Kev, that I shouldn't tell. But back in the day at Wrigley, when I was slinging malts, they uh, there was no computer system. And Wrigley was run horrendously. Oh, shocker! Right, Did they get electricity like forty-five minutes ago. Yeah, the it was a total racket. The cashiers were stealing. The vendors were stealing. Wow! You, it was it's like an underworld of it, the vending game at Wrigley. Yeah, people were making a lot of money on malt cups. So when illegal activities are going down, illegal activities multiply normally. You got like a little. Would you have like a mob? Like a was there like a head mobster you had to pay dues to? There's like <laughs> the you know the Godfather of vending. Who knows what they were doing? Yeah. But but they had all their employees in there, which they damn well knew what was going on. But uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, uh, I was there for a very short period of time, and it all changed. And the computers came in and they actually were keeping inventory and knew who had what so then it became above board real fast but that was a that was a very interesting time uh which unfortunately i was not a part of for a longer period of time right. although it's probably better for my conscience and yeah, where, where things are going that. in life right but at any rate it's uh you slang malts the honest way slang slang malts the honest way mostly to start there i might have been corrupted for a minute or two <laughs> can i ask you this question yeah if you're like a hot dog vendor, yeah, and you got the big silver, uh, you know, uh, heater or whatever to carry your hot dogs around, sure. Like, can you just grab a hot dog and start eating it, or sure, does that come out of your own? If you no, if you okay, so well, I mean, obviously, because drinking is different. You're not going to drink on the job, but like, yeah, I'll do a quick dog. There was alcoholic vendors who would catch a beer really? in, in the in the bathroom, but they were paying for it. In theory. You know everything that you bring out, you're paying. You're paying that price, and then you're getting commission on what you sell. So if you if you uh, came and let's say there was forty hot dogs in a bin, and they were let's just make it easy, they were two bucks a hot dog. Right. You'd go out, you'd sell your forty, forty times two, eighty bucks. You'd come and you give them eighty bucks, they give you another bin, and then you get say ten percent on on what you just sold. So you get eight bucks a load. So if you did say ten loads of hot dogs, which would be a lot of hot dogs, then you get eighty bucks in commission, and then you'd say you got you know that's so there's what did I just how did I? I said forty bucks. Let's say you average fifty cents uh, dog tips, so you would get twenty bucks in tips a load. So you'd have eighty bucks in commission, and then you just did ten loads, so you'd have two hundred bucks in tips. So you just walked out of there with two eighty. I mean, you walked out with two hundred, and you're going to get a check for the rest. Right. Taxes get taken out, all that stuff. So, in, in what year did you get up to the senior ranking of beer vendor? So it took me about seven years to get to old Damn. style. Yeah, yeah. These guys don't. I mean, you see the same guys at the park, right? For I've ye- seen vendors yell at each other like, hey, "Get in your own territory!" Like, are there certain sections you get? So it's not sections, but once you're in an aisle, there's no. You're not. You don't double up the. Don't aisle. double up an aisle, even right. if it's different. Stuff? No, different stuff's legal. But like a hot dog guy who sees a hot dog guy in the aisle is not allowed to come down there. Steer clear. But you know now now it's different though because they're selling so many. Like an old style guy in the old days could go down a Bud guy's aisle, but not two Buds, not two old styles. So you know it's very very competitive, just like anywhere else in the world. People are trying to hold their territory, make their money. Right. Uh, And I got I had plenty of shouting match with different characters over over really? time yes absolutely i can't see the carmen is shouting man oh it well normally it comes out on the basketball court to be honest kp but it would yeah, come tennis out court in, too nah, tennis court i'm not by myself over there i mean i'm yelling at myself but right, right, right basketball right. court we could have a couple okay. moments in time interesting which i'm not necessarily proud of but uh you know these things happen mm-hmm. 
So yeah, yeah, it's uh, it was a great it was a great way to. So what would you make a game when you were beer vending? I mean, what would you take home? A hundred, couple hundred bucks. Beer, beer vending was yeah, you you know, it's it's more than two, less than three on average. More than two hundred, less than three hundred on average. So you figured, okay, so like, let's say you average two hundred, and these guys, were you doing every game? Did you ever miss a game? Say you'd work. You know, I I worked a lot, so because so between both there's you know eighty ish for right. both between. So if you're doing if you're doing, did you do playoff games? Of course, to, of course, of course. Is that you got to make the most money for playoff games, right? Or yeah, no, I mean, because people already blew their whole lot on the ticket. No, you'd make a you'd kill. On, yeah, kill. Amazing. And, Everyone's and, getting crazy. Yeah, I mean those games. I mean. It's, White Sox World Series that year, 05, I was oh, wow. I was working the left field bleachers. I mean, I was doing... You probably t- sold beers to some of my older buddies. My older bro- uh, brother's friends were all there. Sold one to Adam Hogue in the 2008... Uh, Did you? The blackout game? The blackout game, yeah. Did you know Hogue at the time? Of course. Of course. He was my intern. <laughs> Seriously? <That's-> <laughs> <laughs> He's your intern and you're selling him beers? There you go. I think I made me at that How point. How old is Hogue? Isn't Hogue, like, what, 32? 31? Adam Hogue, early 30s, 32, 33, somewhere in there. But yeah. Uh, Makes sense. So he was in his early 20s, just getting crazy at the blackout game. Sold, sold the beer at the blackout game. Then I was on the field interviewing Nick Swisher for WGN Radio. Dave Bennett played it on the morning show. Don't tell Dave I was vending that night. Are you serious? That's a true story. How the hell did that happen? I would so just, you dumped off all your stuff and then got downstairs with your credential and done, popped in? Done selling in the 7th. Liquor cut off. Head on down. Let's do it. I used to. So did you? What did you tell Dave? Like, oh, I'll go cover the game for you. No, I mean Dave sent me out there, and I would. I, I mean, why would do it at Wrigley more so during the? <laughs> Wait, so you were double dipping? You were vending double, double. and working and getting some audio and stuff for GN. I, I hope Dave doesn't live, listen to Paul at the park. When I was, he's when our I, biggest fan. When I was, when I was producing Cap Show on, on on GN back in the day, I would go, I would go and and, and sell. And then I would go to the parking lot, change out, do a little Italian shower, mm-hmm. come in, get the sound, cut up the sound. Back then, they had the 11 o'clock sportscast on the 11 o'clock news, for whatever reason. They, so I would do that from the park. You would record the... I would, I would, I would either record it or like do it live or whatever it was. I don't exactly... I think most times it was live. For I'd do, GN? It was for, a, yeah, GN Radio? GN Radio. We had like a special 11 o'clock thing? We had like an 11 o'clock news thing for, really? a, for a while. It was a weird... I remember For that. whatever reason, they wanted to do that. Okay, 11 o'clock, big so time I'd, hour. I do the 11 o'clock news, and I go home. So it was that that's was a day. That was a day. That was a so day. that's another thing. The physical aspect of it all. I mean, that had to, you had to, some thunder thighs going up and down those stairs. Kind of you got to burn some serious calories. The the back didn't love me for a while. Yeah, there. I bet. Yeah, yeah. I I had a good I had a good brace though. You had a good run as a vendor. I I too a little too long. But you got any? Uh, what are some of the other names? You got Frank the Tank because when we were we had like the eagle eye view and you're like oh there's Frank the Tank there he is look at him penetrate that section. Frank the Tank Belize he's had a couple uh, he's had a, a, a knee uh, reconstruction or two now not the same but back in the <laughs> day the, it was on the DL full force the guy was unbelievable monster Lloyd Rutsky's uh, sold more beers than anybody in the history of the planet that's wow. like a, and uh, Lloyd yeah Lloyd's uh, he's got a book out now of like vending pictures it's actually that's you're right. gonna have him on yeah yeah you gotta get me in touch with this guy yeah and uh, I mean did it did uh, I've been to parks where like a uh, guy has like a song like Two for you. Who needs a beer? You know, something like some kind of weird little like thing. Did you have a go to like? Beer? I would be the beer here guy. Beer here, beer here. That's not bad. Something real obnoxious. 
I, I would be just the simple, old school beer here guy. I mean, I had that, but I, I did a lot of things. You know, there's also the guy with the with the uh, hot dog thing where he smacks it. He's like, dee, dee, dee. that's kind of annoying. And there's one guy that that I, maybe the same guy. He, he screams it real <laughs> loud. I, I you know I would do the uh, you know start your night off right, make it a bud or how about a bud light, something like that. And you'll get a yeah, little rhyme action going. Nice. Um, can you can you do it in car and vendor mode? I would you know I I would I would just try to I would walk in the middle of the aisle I'd hold up both cans in the hand I would just try to let, let him, him see I, it let, let him, him see it, it. Yeah, get a look at it you know yell out a don't be shy no time like the present <laughs> this is your moment <laughs> live your dream Bud Bud Light something along those lines <laughs> this is your moment <laughs> yeah I just you know just try to get him to right you know you're. Because you don't look like I would never guess you're a beer like beer vendors look like kind of hard asses for the most part. You don't like like if I was beer vending, I'd get bullied out there. The no. customer would be like, "Nah, we what are you twelve? Here's five bucks. I don't care if it's seven. He'd steal the beer from me. I mean, that happened too. When uh, did you give her ever any like asshole customers? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, when uh, when Miguel Cabrera the three run bomb the milkman yeah or, uh, Miguel Cabrera Miguel, not, yeah not Melky uh, Miguel yeah. I, I got that, uh, that those confusions happen I've done it myself I, when he had a three run bomb in game seven off of Kerry Wood oh. in 03 yeah. I was in the right field corner and uh, you know they're they're screaming at me like you know I'm like are, are you are you nuts like I, I, I I'm about to collapse this guy you know they're they're about to blow the series to the Marlins and so I was like, pour, I was pouring fast to, just to try to like get myself back in, but I wasn't paying attention. And I over foamed this dude. He took his beer and like blew the foam on me. Wow! In the middle of like the Cubs the meltdown. Wow! Yeah, so, so that was like a that was bad. These these bad are moments for the car. All right, we we're going to do 15 minutes. It's been 35 minutes, Carm. You and I talking in, in a wide range of things. White Sox baseball, Cubs baseball, revisiting the 2016 World Series. Mark Carmen as a beer vendor at Wrigley and Sox Park. We covered a lot today, Carm. Good times, KP. Appreciate Great. you jumping on the podcast. You have your own pod. Why don't you plug away? Follow him on Twitter, at the Carm. Fansided, uh, Mark Carmen. I uh, follow stuff there. What do you, what do you want to plug? Podcast-wise, I go on the mark. You can subscribe on iTunes. Appreciate the, uh, the promotion. Um, a lot of interviews. I just go interview after interview after interview. I talked to a lot of draft guys this week. Who's who's your number one quarterback in the draft before we go? Number one quarterback? I'd probably go Darnold. It's such go a Darnold. weird... It's so weird. I mean, the guy's he redshirt sophomore. He started 24 games, fumbles a lot, thrown some picks. Like Everyone says he's consensus number one. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's like, why is this guy I have so been playing, love? to be honest, as close of attention on the quarterbacks because I know the Bears have no interest in them, so I've been focusing on some of the who other you, players like who, Chubb or Nelson. Who or, do you want the Bears to take? Who do I want the Bears to take? Chubb um, won't be there, right? What's that? Chubb can't be there, right? He's got to be No, there. I don't think so, but I wouldn't r- rule out... Um, Nelson could be there. I don't even... I think if Pace wants, if Pace wants Chubb or Barkley or Nelson, he's probably going to have to trade up. And I wouldn't rule that out because Ryan Pace, yeah. when he wants a guy, he goes and gets a guy. It'd be crazy though, and I, I I I've been meaning to talk to Hogue or, or somebody about this or a longtime Bears. If a team's ever traded up that high in the draft to get an offensive guard, but from what everything we've heard about Quentin Nelson, 
like people are saying Hall of Fame type stuff. The guy's a monster. He's a mauler. He's a ten year left guard for you. Maybe multiple Pro Bowls. So, anyways, uh, I would I think Chubb would be obvious if you could somehow get him because edge rush is one of the most important spots in Vic Fangio's defense, and right now it's probably the weakest spot of that defense. It would make sense if you if they could find a way to go up and get Chubb. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds, a guy from Vatech, is a it's a project. So, um, I think somehow they do end up with Nelson. It just seems like the obvious fit. We'll see though. He's Bears. Mark Carmen. Bears. 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 Uh, Mark Carmen, appreciate you jumping on the Paul with the Park podcast, man. My pleasure, Kippy. That's going to do it for episode eight of the Paul with the Park podcast. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on iTunes and review and rate. You can also listen on Google Play, WDGNRadio.com. Thank you. I'm Kevin Powell. You can follow me on Twitter at KPowell720. And we'll talk to you next week. More Sox and Cubs talk on the way. Thanks for listening to the Pilot at the Park podcast. Have a great day.